HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load Knows that country music's gonna save your soul The devil runs his groove in that rhythm and blues That's him It's gonna get you some in the end Welcome back to The Speakeasy I'm your host, Damon Bolte Hope everyone had a really nice holiday break I sure did. Um, still recovering from my crazy food coma days. But that's all right. That's why we take off for the month of January. But we're going to be back. And speaking of that, this being the first show in January, I'm glad to have a good buddy of mine, Roster Lomax, head bartender of The Third Man, a new bar in the East Village in New York City. Welcome to the show, Roster. Thank you very much, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, man. Good to have you here. Um, so we were. Uh, <laughs> the last time I think that I even saw you, we uh, were working together at uh, Fernet Branca or Fratelli Branca, um, three-story event uh, out in the West Village. Yeah, that was a it was kind of a crappy rainy day like this one, but it was a oh, wait a minute, wait quite a party. Oh yeah, do you course. have your coin on you? Of course I do. <laughs> so that was a cool party because we got to uh, represent some of our favorite brands and make some cocktails, and they gave us these awesome Fernet Branca challenge coins. So uh, if you're out there and if you have one. Be warned. Yep, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. You're going to owe us some shots for net. <laughs> so um, this is a, a recent uh, switch for you. I, I believe we met when you were working at the Huckleberry Bar, which we've mm-hmm. uh, talked about a couple times on the show before. Um, you know, Wonderful spot, yeah. yeah. Great I spot. Was, uh, I was there for a little less than a year um, from you know December 11 to uh, just into November of 2012 uh, when I got the offer to take the position of the third man. And, uh, you know, I really would have loved to stay on there. It's a beautiful place. But it was one of those sort of offers you couldn't refuse sensibly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went ahead and took it. Um, <clears throat> people still ask me if I miss that place. And, uh, I mean, of course you do. Like, yeah. You know, any, anywhere that felt like home is going to be something that you uh, you miss a little bit. Well, speaking uh, of that, I mean, like, ways. it's, a, you know, one of the places where it does feel like home. It's very... it's. Kind of the quintessential like neighborhood bar, you know, a modern Absolutely. neighborhood bar. Absolutely, and um, 
Huckleberry Bar, you know, I was a patron there for years before I actually worked there. So you can really see how uh, the bar, the service model, has really changed to reflect that neighborhood's evolution over the past five years and change. Uh, you know, I, I worked the fifth anniversary, and everybody who's like, yeah, I was here from the small days, you know, you could tell that they were, they were, they were there when, when East Williamsburg was still roughing it. Mm-hmm. You know, before, before the, the classy whiskey bars and before the uh, gourmet pizza rolls in, like, they were there for, you know, people would get beat on the sidewalks. Yeah. Um, you know, which is something I have still seen on Avenue C, um, <laughs> Third Man, but it's that idea that it was like a neighborhood safe space that had uh, these wonderful ambitions. You know, um, the quality of the beverage program is what really drew me to working at Huckleberry Bar because I think Stephanie has a phenomenal palate and really, you know, she really cares about what kind of products she offers and how. And, uh, you know, that was really ambitious five years ago. Um, and it's still reflecting the character of that that space where, you know, I can still pull Bud Lights with one hand while I'm making, you know, two different stirred drinks with the other. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of the fun of, like, Saturday Night Service over there. Nice. And, you know, some of the other things that set that place apart, too, is, like, you know, I, first of all, like, I, I went there, like, when, when it opened, yeah, I, I guess I, I remember hearing about it when it first opened and uh, going in, you know, specifically to go have cocktails. Um, but over the years, it, it, I slowly went from those stirred uh, classics to the uh, the buds. <laughs> but that's because you know, like you mm-hmm. can. It's just yeah. the same way with like, you know, we've talked about like Bushwick Country Club, which is down the block from you guys on the same block, actually. Yep. Um, you know, practically neighbors. And yeah, I certainly didn't close my bar at like two or three in the morning and then find myself sitting drinking Fernets and High Lifes. Yeah. Well into the uh, the hours when you should go home and yeah. be useful. Oh, then I think we can all relate to that one. <laughs> Definitely, although I've, I've never, sit, never been yeah, served I after mean, hours. Yeah, they, that sounds fun, but I've never been there. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> but, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, when, like, Nick Jarrett and Francis Narrows and those guys were working there at uh, Bushwick Country Club, you know, you could go in and get a great cocktail, but you could also have your Bud Lights and Fernets and whatnot. Yeah, sure. With the right people, you can still get, I mean, if they have the the, the equipment on hand. Mm-hmm. There's so much overlap now, especially, especially now where... Uh, where Tom has uh, has gotten in with Frank, and they have their um, their their little empire cropping up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of interchange between uh, Bushwick and Dram and Gin Palace, and you know, so it's actually kind of nice. It's it's nice to see that evolving as a as a as a paradigm for serving new cocktails. Like, yeah, we can make you absolutely anything you want. Three Jennies, awesome. <laughs> you know, crack them all open, and that'll be. Ten dollars, twelve dollars. Yeah, like that's. I've I've been thinking about that a lot, and and that's part of what I'm trying to do at the third man is have a an accessible list that isn't. Because you know I'm, I'm I'm classically trained. Like it's bitter, it's stirred. Like that's a good thing for me. Yeah. Some people may want something a little lighter, or something more approachable, or they can't pronounce chinar, and <laughs> that's fine. Like nobody does in their first try. No. But you want to have the kind of place that's that's accessible to them, and. Uh, there was there was discussion had for a while, and I, I'm still in support of it, of having uh, Bud Light Platinum as our house beer, and just being like, yeah, you can have everything you want, including that. Yeah. But it's it's such a tight, um, tightly curated list because of the uh, the storage that we have going on at the Third Man. You know, what you see is what you get, more or less, when you walk in the bar. So mm. the the tight rotating list that I've been running lately, 
Like those are our functional adaptations to the uh, the practical realities of the space, which is it's great learning that sort of thing. You know, I I talk sometimes on the show about the like liking you know the like different challenges that are involved with with running a bar and even with just making drinks on their own. You know, of um, course. You know, like you said, like having a tight space is a challenge in and of itself. First of all, if you can only get one person behind the bar on a busy night, sometimes Lord, you can yeah. really be screwed. But you know, like you said, not having like storage space to have everything. You know, you you want to kind of approach it like we have something for everyone, but not everything for everyone. Yeah, so I think and I, I envy all those spots with the the big beautiful back bars where like. It may be a few steps off, but you can get me six kinds of Amari, and like we can have a, a nerd conversation about that. Yeah. And I have two, and they're in one particular place on the bar, and that's where you have to go to get them, because that's what we can fit when you need to have you know, a number of different spirits and different styles to, yeah, to have something for everyone, but not everything for anybody. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially, you know, we talk about things like, or, you know, for instance, there's there's the uh, getting a little. I was almost I was going to trail off there for a second, but we're come we're back. <laughs> so uh, there, you know, websites like uh, talking about like the twelve bottle bar, for instance, mm-hmm. and I think those like having those guidelines and those parameters that you have to stay within is a really really powerful thing for like anyone who's trying to create drinks. Yeah, it's both empowering and it's also. Well, creativity and restrictions uh, are—they like each other much more than people like to think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember my my days in college. Um, you know, I went to school for music, and I thought it would be like this great creativity fest where you could, like express yourself as an artist. And I actually did my best work under the tightest constraints. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, yeah, you have to do it this way and then this way. But what are you going to do then with the handful of choices you're presented with? Mm-hmm. And the the twelve bottle bar is a—it's a great blog. Because it's giving people the idea that you don't have to have everything to get all these interesting classics. You don't have to have, you know, chartreuse uh, to be able to pull it off. I strongly suggest that you do, but, right. you know, you don't have to spend $52 on a bottle of liquor just to get, you know, it, it lowers the barrier to entry for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you think creatively. Like a lot of, the, a lot of my favorite drinks, we, uh, we, we ran a hot cocktail briefly. And it was uh, it was mold cider with Chinese five spice powder, mm-hmm. Myrto, and Fernet. And Sounds like everything that I've had today. <laughs> it was what was in my kitchen when I was trying to figure out <laughs> drinks, and like I made that for myself. I'm like, this actually might have legs. Yeah, you know, it's it's what's in the house, uh, kitchen cocktails. Well, yeah, I mean, there's also you know uh, you know things like like Amore Margo, for instance. They don't even have citrus, so it's All right. That that's a huge constraint to be put into you know like they don't even have a shaker in the house you know yeah everything is bitter and everything is stirred and that's perfect for a certain crowd of people mm-hmm. and and they get away with it because of their relationship with Cienfuegos and Gin Palace mm-hmm. you know Gin Palace um, is my favorite place to be on a Saturday night for schadenfreude because <laughs> uh, I love I love Heim and I love Will and I love going there you know if I get out early and there's still an hour left to the evening just to, to look at the look on their faces as people are like dancing on the banquettes and you're just like, you are, how many, how many of those gin and tonics on tap have you pulled tonight? Yeah. You know, the one subsidizes the other in a, in a way. Um, but it's nice that that versatility is there in, in yeah. that, that block too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So people can kind of come in on a weird night. Maybe they've been to Ginger Palace with their friends, but they can get a really well-made aviation. And then the rabbit hole just opens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, like... I would never say this to Frank or any of those guys, but it's almost like it's almost like the like the uh, cocktail bar food court <laughs> that corner there. Sure, sure. I mean, and you can think about that in a positive way because I've been to some yeah, bitch and food courts in my life, but yeah, yeah. You know, so who? So who's McDonald's? I'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, what it's a, the Cherry Tree Tavern or whatever. <laughs> oh God, that place is. A glorious, glorious little spot. Oh my god! The last time I was there, I almost got in a fight with probably every single person in the bar, including all the staff and the door guy. And all I was trying to do was order a beer. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Oh man. Um, well, so speaking of those restraints, I mean, like, what what are some of the the restraints that what are, what are re- some of the restrictions that you have? For instance, like, what are the ones that come to mind? With the list I'm working on right now. You know, I, I had a lot of liberty um, in terms of how I built and interpreted the list, and part of it is very deliberately all one or two steps away from a very classic cocktail. Hmm. Because, you know, my owners, they have extensive culinary background. They're restaurateurs, chef owners, but they're not from the cocktail tradition. Um, we get a lot of press talking about how very Viennese our bar is, and aesthetically speaking, and in terms of our wine and beer selection, emphatically so. But there's not the same cocktail culture in Europe uh, outside of maybe London. Uh, Madrid has its gin and tonics, but it's not like, you know, and, and they have wonderful sherry and they have great food ways and drink ways. But well, I just use those words. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> we can edit it out and post. Yes, please, please. Wait, aren't we live? Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So I didn't mention that. So they have these great drinking cultures and they have incredibly affordable, high-quality wines and beers that are native, and they've worked on for hundreds of years. America developed the cocktail because we were making really bootleg-ass whiskey. Yeah. And you have to do something with it. You know, that's an interesting point. You know, for us over here, like, you know, we've mentioned Fernet, and then, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Sherry's and things like that. You know, a lot of the European drinking culture, when they come here, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? With our beautiful Amari <laughs> and grappe and sherry and you know wine and beer, we it's stuck like, we stuck we stuck turbochargers on it, painted flames on the hood, and then went drag racing. It's America. That's what we do. <laughs> that's true. That is true. That um, is, that's the styles. Yeah, and you know that's uh, that's all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, and it, that was a real challenge for me is is having drinks that would pass muster with the investors who are not well when. Explaining what a mezcal last word was, mm-hmm. and that's one of our more popular drinks because it's it's that with a shot of champagne on the back, nice. um, and I I love that drink. It's called the Harry Lime. The third man being the Orson Welles uh, film that Orson Welles starred in. Um, our opening night, I served those to uh, Tristan and Robbie from Booker and Dax, and uh, Tristan's comment was, uh, "Shouldn't every cocktail come with the champagne back?" I was like, "Yeah, I don't see why not." That's awesome. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. But that's that's kind of nice because uh, you can you can chase with it if you're not a big fan of the smoky mezcal, or you can float it in the drink. It totally changes the texture. Make it a royale. Exactly. Nice. That's one of the things I've I always did to my last words. Uh, just being you know if I was behind the bar, if I want to sort of blow somebody's mind or 
impress a cute girl. I'd be like, oh, try this great drink. Oh, it's spicy. It's well-balanced. Now watch this. Yeah, we put champagne in everything here. <laughs> champagne goes in everything, if only once. Uh, I learned well from the Rain's Law Room from my time there. Nice. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll continue talking with Ross Lomax, head bartender at the new bar The Third Man in New York City. Back in a moment. You're listening to Brothers NYC on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture-raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. And we are back. You've been listening to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have my good buddy, Rosser Lomax, from The Third Man. We were just talking before the break about some of the restrictions and challenges um, of having a small bar and uh, some of the ingredients that, you know, you take one out of the bar, you might find yourself a little bit more creative than than feeling like you've been left behind the, uh, the old booze bus. Well, that's always the worst feeling when you think to yourself, like, oh, great, you know, we have to we have to 86 this cocktail because, you know, we didn't get whatever limited supply ingredient it is. Um, for me right now, that was uh, that was Mezcal in the Mezcal Last Word, and uh, we're having some distribution issues with the Jubrovka, and I've got a Jubrovka champagne cocktail on the, on the list, which is there as a very blatant sort of like, oh, you wanted to have a glass of the Gruner, but we could probably talk you into a champagne cocktail sure. with elderflower and vodka. Yeah. You know, so sometimes you have to make accommodations for what you do or don't have. And uh, with the Mezcal last word, the Harry Lime, uh, just this last weekend, we, you know, I really wanted to run it. It's a, it's a good drink, and we had all the ingredients on hand except for the Mezcal. So we substituted in uh, white tequila and pulled the different uh, modifiers back, kept the acid roughly the same. And uh, to try and get, you know, the, the difference, you know, mezcal and tequila being kissing cousins, to bring up the uh, the two characteristics that that stand out from the mezcal I was using, which is the smoke and the salt. I brought in like a a bar spoon's worth of uh, peated Irish whiskey. It also gives that nice like heavy body to it because it's pot stilled. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of the peat smoke, and then uh, we just threw a pinch of sugar in there. Uh, sorry, salt, um, white crystalline thing that's totally legal. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, a pinch of salt did wonders, uh, both because mezcal is kind of naturally salty, but it also brought up, uh, you know, when I was working at Huckleberry Bar, we used a saline solution in a couple of drinks, uh, usually with more adventurous, 
more bitter bases uh, because it the your perception of of taste is altered sometimes by salt um, and Hervé uh, Thys probably mangling his name but he had a, a lovely book called Molecular Gastronomy where he ran short bits on on different sort of the the phenomena of uh, taste and variations and and the way that science really fundamentally interacts with uh, with food and and culinary uh, things. And one thing he pointed out was that a little bit of salt will uh, tamp down or diminish your perception of bitterness in a, in a beverage or in a food, and it will amplify uh, your the, the savor and the uh, the sweetness a little bit. Um, it's one of the classic, like, uh, when you have uh, Mexican candy is a little bit salty and chilly because it, it amplifies the sense of, uh, of sweetness in the candy itself. Yeah. Um, which is, it's kind of an acquired flavor maybe for Americans who are used to like high fructose everything. Right. You know, where we're, we're weaned on like sugar first, uh, which is always great when you get people who come in and they don't want sugary drinks. Um, sure. A buddy of mine was like, I love when people say that cause I know they're lying. Um, <laughs> they want something sweet, but they don't want it to be saccharin. Right. Uh, which is fine. You know, cause that, that saccharin flavors is to me, it's an off flavor. But there's nothing wrong with sweet forward. Sure. You know, it's just another flavor group. And again, you know, sugar is another palate stimulator, just like salt is. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, you have to have like a lot of times that even just like a bar spoon of simple syrup in a cocktail will add the body that you might be missing from. Yeah, you know, yeah, it gives it. it it'll round it out even if you're using something particularly heavy like uh, an amaro mm-hmm. or something as your base. It just really ties it together, um, like a rug. We'll bring a room together. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So. I, I like the idea. I am going to try it when I go back to my bar now uh, of doing the last word, smoky, salty last word. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little drink. I mean, I'm I'm far from the first bartender to put mezcal in the last word and and declare himself king of uh, king of shit mountain. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the a little bit of champagne back, I think, is the the twist I liked with that drink. Um, and I I have the opportunity because you know my owners are not ingrained in cocktail culture that I, I can do that uh it works it goes both ways too um one of my drinks on there was an american trilogy variation uh using laird's chinar and Peixo. um sort of a tip of the hat over to tanya dram because that's still one of my favorite things is the house shot over there oh yeah yeah um and i pull i pulled that off and um eddie the uh the managing partner chef owner was like well we have all these fresh juices that i had made for you at our commissary uptown like what if you paired apple you know the apple brandy with fennel and you know instantly i recoiled because i was like you you don't put fresh vegetable juice in a stirred drink that's just that's that's wrong <laughs> and we're like oh well we could clarify it or we could do this and i just went ahead and did it and uh tried a couple different values and settled on about a half of an ounce and it's delicious it's weird and it clouds up the mixing glass and the 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 drink on the other end looks a little funny yeah, for what you would think a stirred drink would be. Mm-hmm. But the depth of flavor from the fresh vegetable juice, which is not something I would have thought of on my own, uh, and didn't, in fact. But it's nice to have that kind of corroboration, collaboration, yeah. uh, working with people who have great palates but don't necessarily come from cocktail. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I know it's a lot of, uh, a lot of restaurants and bars... Like the the back of the house in the front is there's always an issue with never the twain shall meet yeah 
but I, it's always great when you have a, a dynamic combination like that, you know, because mm-hmm. they're like you said, you know, there are certain things that you wouldn't have thought of, and vice versa. And also, when you do need something clarified, <laughs> it's nice to not have to do that from behind the bar. Yeah, yeah, they have the uh, all the toys usually. Yeah, and I had a, a great relationship at uh, at Rye House with um, the former chef over there, uh, where I would just come in and I'd, I'd just have like a, just a stupid idea and i'd be like so how terrible is you know pulling out a torch and uh you know i want to i want to melt some sugar on these apple garnishes for a hot apple cider drink that i'm making just this weekend uh so i had oh, this wonderful leeway on the brunches over there where i could kind of just do whatever nice. as long as the place didn't burn down it was good so i i, I did bad science sundays um, where I'd have my friends come by and I'd just try new, weird, whatever things. And, uh, that, that was where the, uh, that was sort of the, 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 the er version of the Amaro hot toddy, hot cider drink came from. And I, uh, I would get an apple and I went down to chef and I was like, um, I'm trying to burn simple sugar onto here. So it caramelizes. And she's like, I could spend all day telling you why it's not going to work or we could just do this. And she threw them on a sizzle plate, the little uh, apple pie? slices. No, she threw them on a sizzle plate. Okay. And uh, put down some brown sugar and powdered ginger and hit it with a brulee torch. And I was like, that's probably a much more efficient way of doing this. Yeah, like, nice. Thank you. You know, And you learn a lot that way in terms of like maybe flavor pairings that you know we think of because we think of how they work in cocktails, whereas they're like, well... You know, I used to put lavender in my Bloody Marys over there. Like mezcal, smoked chipotle, lavender Bloody Marys. I can't even picture that. It's delicious. Really? Something about lavender and huh. nightshades go together really, really well. That sounds crazy. And when I get my smoke gun it behind the bar over at Eddie the work. Wolf, or rather the third man, when I get my smoke gun, we'll, we'll be going weird places with that. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Let's get weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the joy. I mean, yeah, the, you know, especially... I have, like I, I, one of my favorite things to do is actually go back to the kitchen and talk with the chefs about like certain flavors that go together like that because you know we all know that brandy goes really well with ginger and orange you know and of course. you know and absinthe and peychauds and and rye go really well together you know and you know you can make the connections of like raspberry chocolate mint you know like salt you know you can mm-hmm. these are like classic pairings you know like classic flavors go well together and it's really awesome to be able to find those those new weird ones you know. Yeah, I mean, I've got a copy of the Flavor Bible, and it's it's a great go-to when you're like, I have no clue what I'm... Like, it, it sort of shows you your blind spots when you're developing a, a new set of flavors or a new cocktail. Or alternately, when you say to yourself, like, I'm going to work dill into my drink one way or the other, it's going to give you a list of things that traditionally go with dill, and you can kind of walk that back. I ended up pairing uh, dill, cucumber juice, and grappa. Uh, it was actually Grappa Ruta originally. It was, it was the drink oh, that I did Candelini. for the Fratelli, yeah. yeah, for the Fratelli Branca event, um, which is great because rue flavored Grappa is one of those things that you know it's part of the the rich Italian history of like having a really interesting local tradition of like well we have this this herb it's super bitter super stimulating it was a metonym in Victorian English like you'll rue the day comes from that herb. Um, <clears throat> Which is why the drink is called Nessun Rimpianto. It's no regrets. Um, nice. But I just love a good pun. <laughs> also, I employ Josh Perez, so puns abound. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, you know, uh, roux flavored grappa is not an ingredient I would have thought to have ever made a cocktail with until Jen came and was like, you know, will you do this for, you know, our event? And I had a bottle and I just, I messed around with it for weeks actually. And one day I, uh, a flash of inspiration hit me and I was like, I could just make like a crop of Collins with honey. Nice. Um, because it's such an interesting flavor. It's, it's, it's so different. You know, it's, it's got the heavier body of a brandy, but it's, it's super bitter and stimulating, uh, almost in like a gin sort of way. Right. That doing as little as possible to it was great. Yeah. And then when I entered it, I was, you know, doing the test kitchen stuff with, uh, with my owners, they're like, Oh, cucumber would probably go well in there. I was like, mm, well, why not? Nice. Put it in, throw the dill on top. All of a sudden it's, it has this like, a depth of flavor like a good salad and it has a lot of vegetables in it, but it right. doesn't taste, you know, it doesn't taste too vegetal. It's more like garden. Yeah, it has without, those, those those assumptions without actually being food. Yeah. You know, it's, which it's nice. It makes for a very the light step, drink. The step above the soil, not below it. Right, right. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm more than happy to try and explore those flavors too. Yeah. Um, that really like musty, earthy thing. Um, okay. But that... That could be kind of a turn off for some people with uh, with booze. I don't know. It's man. more of a your third drink kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Unless you get people like me at your bar, <laughs> in which, which case, uh, in most which case, I'm always going to go to that menu and look for the weirdest thing on there to try first. And speaking of which, yeah. uh, you're going to be there tonight, right? I will, in fact. Yeah, uh, tonight, uh, Friday through Monday. I'm I'm there most days yeah it's usually how it goes with uh opening a new place right absolutely of course it, it seems to be that you know i take tuesdays every now and again and those are the nights i get all the texts from everybody being like where are you like drinks are great but we're looking for you and i'm like i, I didn't leave the borough <laughs> uh although yesterday i did uh for that that google party with the oh yeah yeah the the uh, the, the hardcore lockdown google party i mean i understand why they have so much security there but that's you know, I've I've been in government facilities that were less secure. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, that's more like they have cameras everywhere and fine. You know, they'll they'll find you if they need to find you. But you know, they were all about like direct physical control, which was fantastic until I realized I didn't have pineapple juice. Oh no! And then it took me about forty five minutes to go an avenue and a block over the Manhattan Fruit Exchange and be like, please, just give me my pineapple juice. And then let me back in, <laughs> please. Yeah. I swear it I'll get you while. drunk. <laughs> it was it was great to have uh, you know really top quality bartenders doing this, you know, just batching and doing everything in this tiny little corner of this cafe, and being like, yeah, we probably should have used the kitchen for all this, but <laughs> not knowing it could have. We were just like, okay, it, it, a great event. It's like a pop up party. You know, yeah. you come, you saw. Hopefully, somebody else brings the product. You just set it all up bang it out everyone has a great time smiles all around everybody gets paid that's awesome (laughs) that's that's one of the things i love yeah well cool man it's been really great talking to you on the show today um oh yeah thanks so much for having uh, me i can't wait to uh come see you at the bar and and get weird (laughs) yeah let's get weird with it right on ross lomax thank you so much for being on the show today what's the website for the uh third man uh i believe it is the third man.com um our digital presence. How did you get away with that? <laughs> How was that not taken? Um, like I said, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm not. I'm not too up to date on our digital presence because I'm, I'm busy trying to keep uh, the lights on. Right on. Cool man. <laughs> All right. Thanks again so much. Oh, You've absolutely. been listening Thank to Speakeasy. Uh, I'm Damon Bolte, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.